All right, uh, we're here drinking a lot, so we should start with a toast uh, to new beginnings. New beginnings. Professional reason to consume. Yes. Uh-huh. I can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? <laughs> Welcome to the Mix Six. Uh, this is a podcast where I, Caleb, and my friend Spencer. Spencer, say hi. Hi there. Uh, we share a six pack because uh, we're normally sharing more than that. But hey, we get to deduct one per week. That's right. On our taxes. That's right. Uh, and also, we're going to talk about a, uh, a mixed six topics mm-hmm. as we drink our beers mm-hmm. uh, and share with you, the listener. Right. That metaphor runs deep. Yes. So, uh, exactly. So, uh, we're going to open up with our first segment, uh, which is called, uh, to celebrate our new endeavor, mm-hmm. Pro Drinking. <clears throat> pro Drinking. Uh, so, when you are a pro drinker, what are you drinking, Spencer? Uh, right now, I'm drinking an Imperial Three Blind Mice from Mother's Brewing Company in Springfield, Missouri. Trademark. Uh, <laughs> and checks in the mail. And it's a nice brown ale. It's got a nice finish to it, aged in bourbon barrels, I think. Uh, which gives it a nice sweetness on the end. It's got a little little bit of a molasses finish. A little bit of a molasses finish. I like it quite a bit. Uh, I like it quite a bit as well. I will tell you that the first time I tried this, I did not know it was an Imperial at almost 9%? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so I had three of them, and it was, uh, it was a rough, rough meeting with... Uh, the business people I was meeting there. Yeah. Uh, got a little too after it. My uh, my thing about Imperials, and this Imperial in particular, is that they get you really drunk, mm-hmm. and they taste really good, and so I have this problem where I can't not buy them. Yes. And so I could buy a six-pack, or I could buy a four-pack of an Imperial, and then I buy the four-pack because I think, well, it's two less, and then the next day I'm throwing up, and I'm like, but it was two more, really, mm-hmm. because alcohol. See, I'm usually good if I can buy it on a bottle, because like, it says it real big on the bottle. Yeah. But like, if I'm in a tasting room, and it's just like brown liquid in a glass, right. I start rationalizing. I'm like, well, I don't know that it's three blind mice and our imperial three blind mice. Right. They could be running a shell game back there on right. me. And so then I drink seven. Yeah, the brown liquid in a glass standard sounds... Real tricky there, man. Yeah. As you can see, uh, right. we started this podcast for a reason. So what else are you drinking? Right. Uh, what, where, where do your tastes lie? That's, so as to give yep. the yep. lay of the land of the list. That's right. I want you to know me as a drinker, <laughs> as my wife does. Um, <laughs> so uh, so here, here's the evolution of my beer story. Um, I started uh, with, uh, well, my first drunken experience. Let's um, Ross put some like nice slow jams in behind this one. So my first drinking experience. Um, Hi, I, I'm the producer, by the way. Producer Ross. <laughs> Um, I, I drank six Smirnoff Ices, the orange flavor, I believe, uh, because they didn't like to taste a beer, and that was not good. And so then I waited a few months and didn't drink anything else, and then I got introduced to Boulevard Wheat out of Kansas City, Missouri, and I thought, well, this doesn't taste like beer. This tastes like delicious things with lemons in them. Mm-hmm. And so I got really into Boulevard Wheat, and once I got into Boulevard Wheat, then it was just this renaissance of Boulevard, and then you know Budweiser, because your tastes revert, and you get cheap, and you're in college. My dare officer was right. Gateway drugs. That's right. Gateway <laughs> drugs. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and so then I got really into IPAs, because everybody gets really into IPAs, and I tried to grow a beard, and I bought some sweaters, and uh, couldn't do the beard, still have the sweaters, don't like IPAs anymore, and now I'm on to sours. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, first time I got drunk, I caber tossed a fence post through the windshield of a car. Wow! And then I didn't do it for a while because it was obviously a bad idea to start drinking. Right. And then, like a year later, I did it again because yeah. that's where my cognition is at. Uh, wow! So now you know wait me. the drinking or the throwing or both? Both? <laughs> Either? Right. Um, right. Yeah. Hide your car, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> or your fence posts. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm screwed either way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I tend to drink um, like it's always winter, regardless right. of the weather. So stouts, uh, stouty stouts. So that's a weird thing. So, so I spent some time working, about nine months working with a brewery. And one of the things I noticed spending a lot of time there as a professional uh, is that people do go kind of through like beer transitions, right? Like mm-hmm. that you, uh, you you start somewhere and then your taste progress. And it typically seems to go from like a lighter wheat and or a lager into something more niche or crafty like a pale ale into an IPA. People kind of land on stouts uh, and then they, they like start to cycle over again. You've never had that? It's just always been like... Well, I mean, I didn't drink beer at all. I think how most people start. I started on hard alcohol. Right. Uh, and then um, there were the college years and it's like natty. Right. Which I don't think really counts. Right. Other than like, natty, you're getting used to the experience of being drunk. Right. Not what it should taste like. Right. I want to correct a little bit here. It's actually Bush Light in college for us, Caleb. Except for the well, one we did time both. You, you accidentally bought Bush Heavy. Yeah, you, which you'll never forgive you. me. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Dick. I illegally bought you beer. Yep. Yep. Because uh, I was one year older than you. Your fault, not mine. Type. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, on both fronts. Uh, so, but after that, I, I just went straight to like Guinness. Yeah, and, like car bombs and right. stuff. Right. Hard alcohol, what do you drink? What are you drinking? Uh, so I'm a bourbon guy. Here are things that I've learned about myself. At You've made me a bourbon guy. It yeah. wasn't before I met. Bourbon's the only way to go. Um, I can't do vodka. It makes me cry like a 14-year-old girl at a Justin Bieber concert. Like, seriously, the last time I drank vodka, I ended up in my bathtub sobbing. Not crying, not <laughs> weepy, sobbing. Like, questioning existence, <laughs> yelling at my wife about how we just needed to give up on everything. So well, that, that's very Russian of yeah, you. Yeah, so not no vodka, no tequila. Um, and definitely no gin. Gin doesn't have any weird effects on me. It just tastes like hairspray, so I don't get why people drink it. Yeah, gin's disgusting. Just gross. Just gross. All gin is bathtub. I'm sad, I'm sad you stopped drinking tequila, though. Yeah. We've had some good times with tequila. We did. One of the first times I got really, really hammered. And, you know, I, I promise to those of you wondering if you should continue to listen. At some point, we'll talk about something else. Yeah, the segments <laughs> do end. Right. Yeah. Uh, at the, probably one of the drunkest I've ever been, we split a bottle of tequila in 45 minutes. And that night, Caleb jumped into a Christmas tree. Twice. Yep. Yep. The same tree? Yeah. Yep. Was yeah. it standing We didn't have that? two trees, Ross. Come on. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd ready. go to someone else's house. Like, <laughs> it's more of a dick. We've jumped into that tree. You know? Let's go to the next. we got to keep jumping, right. you know. Like. Yeah. No, it, it just... <laughs> It needed more. Yeah. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gave me lip, right. and then it just kept talking, and <laughs> yep. I had to seal the deal. I wasn't there to see it, but I heard all about it the next day. So. Also, you probably heard it as it was happening, because it did go through that wall. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a bourbon guy now, and I'm for crafty, niche cocktails with bourbon. I'm for bourbon straight. I'm for bourbon neat. I'm just generally for bourbon. Mm-hmm. Blanton's bourbon, in particular. Blanton's is the best yes. in the world. It is the greatest thing I've ever had. It's oh, right. so good. Yep. Blanton's, if you want to... You want a sponsorship. That's right. Uh, you don't have to pay us in money. Nope. Just Blanton's. Just FYI. Yeah. That's right. We'll do a whole bourbon episode. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, just a Blanton's episode, just yes. so you feel better about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, sweet. So that's where we're at drinking-wise. I, I, I am too big into bourbon. Whiskey now, uh, mm-hmm. in general. Um, like Lead Slingers. Thank you, Baz, for right. the recommendation. Right. It's made by operators. Got a tactical talk on the back of your whiskey bottle. Yep. Uh, stay frosty out there. Um, and uh, I, I still like a rum every now and then. It's disgusting. It. Uh, all right. Yep. That's fair. Yep. Uh, I too can't do vodka. Nope. Everyone's had a screwdriver night, yep. that, and the resulting PTSD. Right. Uh, and yeah, that's where I'm at. So thick, thick, stouty beers and uh, whiskey and bourbon. Yeah. Is, is, where I'm crying. It's going to be real manly show. Nope. 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 Not at all. See, not at uh, all. It's a faint. 
Sounds literally like a Ken doll. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed drinks, what are you going for now? Uh, so, big fan of Old Fashions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Uh, not true. On Thanksgiving, we started with mimosas. So, I guess that's a mixed drink because it has some alcohol and something not alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. End of list. Yes. Yep. Uh, I like an Old Fashioned, too. I like a car bomb. It's um, not, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not technically a cocktail. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. What you said is you like dropping alcohol into other alcohol. And then drinking it as quickly as possible right. before it curdles. Yeah. That's, uh, not a, that's not a thing they do in high society? Nope. They're not doing that at the country club? I don't believe so. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Well, I mean. Maybe where they have two Christmas trees. But, a podcast uh, or learning experience is both for the, the speakers and the listeners. That's right. So That's right. We've all become better people. Here we are. Uh, so, I'm empty. How about you? Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to the next set. Okay. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking now? All right, so this is a new one for me. It's by The Green Flash, which I believe is out of San Diego, and I probably should have looked at that before I said, yep, San Diego. It's a passion fruit kicker, so uh, not something I would have normally picked up. A couple of reasons. One, passion fruit, never had it, but sounds disgusting. Not how I like my fruit or my passion. Um, But I do like some Green Flash beers. Uh, They have a red and an IPA that I was pretty into when I drank IPAs. So, passion fruit kicker, here's the description. Wheat ale with passion fruit, okay, like wheat, a- wheat ales. Um, and then they use two words that really stood out to me, luscious and tart. Mm. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I do it's you put, all over. I want to put that in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to taste it here while you introduce us in our, uh, our second segment. I've only had a passion fruit beer once, and it's because they told us it was going to turn, and so they gave it at a discount. So, Ooh. it was a great night. It is. Producer Ross was there. <clears throat> It's tart, all right. That, that gets right. It gets in your gums a little bit. All right. Uh, speaking of getting in the gums, yeah. uh, this segment's called Dissecting Our Fun. That's right. So uh, Spencer is a avid board game collector and player, uh, which I did not know because when we first met, that was not the case. It was not the case. Uh, and when we first met, I was not an avid RPG player and right. designer. Uh, and then we met back up, and lo and behold, we're That's really right. into games. That's right. We were both far more interested in having relationships with humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we are, but we're done with that life, now. Life comes out. Done fast. with that. Back to games. That's right. Uh, That's and right. so we're also overly academic and uh, analyze yep. everything to yep. the point where it's just not enjoyable anymore. Annoyingly. So we thought we'd do that for you. Here we are. Um, so a game that we have been obsessed with and playing constantly lately is potion explosion potion explosion man oh it's so good all right so talk a little bit about the mechanic of potion explosion all right so the basic mechanic of potion explosion there are eight potions Mm -hmm. which varying levels of colored marbles Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. to fulfill the potions the little colored marbles represent uh ingredients right uh what you do when you buy potion explosion you have a craft project Mm -hmm. to put together because you have to put this crazy like marble dispensary device together uh, which is actually more fun than frustrating if right. you follow the directions. It's right. cool. You dump a shit ton of marbles in right. this marble dispensing device. They go dumping down these multiple chutes. Right. And then the goal is to pick marbles for your potions. But here's the kicker. You pick a marble and two marbles of the same color click together. You get all of those marbles yep. in a color. So yep. if you got two red ones, then a yellow one, and then two red ones, you pull the yellow one, all four Bam. Red ones click together. Those are four red marbles for you. Potion explosion. Ah. And uh, the reason I am obsessed with this game, I couldn't say for for a long time. It took me a long time to like put it into words mm-hmm. as to why I was like, 
well, I could learn these half a dozen other games that I bought at Gen Con, right. but uh, let's just play Potion Explosion again. Mm-hmm. Um, but why, why is it so good to you? I'm interested, yep. like, you before I start analyzing. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I remember the first time we played it, I remember thinking, well, so here's what happens. You set down this this giant box on my table, uh, and then you start porting, putting a bunch of marbles in it, and I thought, okay, well, this has gone, this has gone south. <laughs> this is not going to be a good day. Also, when this tips over, I'm going to be so pissed at Caleb. So... So we start playing, though, and, you know, uh, you and me and Brandy and Sarah, our significant others, mm-hmm. we are loving this. We ended up playing two or three rounds of it that day, and in the weeks that have passed, we've played it a number of other times. So I've been thinking a lot about why that game. Two reasons for me. One is that it satisfies a very primal urge regarding board games for me, which is the same thing that Kerplunk satisfied and Mousetrap, that sometimes when you're playing a game, you just want to do something tactile that matters. Yes. And so many games don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even the subtle movement of pieces around a board doesn't have the same kind of visceral response as picking up marbles and letting things clang together and mm-hmm. move around kind of independent of your action. Yeah, it's, so, it's a sensory pleasure. Yeah, so the physics of it uh, is kind of fascinating, and the drunker you get, the more like fireworks almost explosion like it becomes like (laughs) you see that you know there's like something almost uh like i dare you to make a better move than that so so there's something very visceral and tactile about the movement the second thing that i love about it is that while on the surface it seems like a very simple almost selfish game which is you pulling marbles to complete your potions it's also a game where you can see all of the potions everyone else is trying to complete, and you can see all of the board that and currently that's exists. That's what I figured out. Yeah. Yeah. It's the perfect information game. Yes. Right? There are so few perfect information games right. that are good. Like, yeah. And to the point where when you talk about perfect information games, you pretty much only talk about chess. That's right. Like, to a game that's existed for thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to do a perfect information game that is tactically engaging. Right. And, oh, God, is it tactically engaging? I, I can see what you're trying to do, what Brandy's trying to do, what Sarah's trying to do, and what I'm trying to do. And so what I'm trying to figure out is... Which of the marbles that are available to me, A, are meaningful, mm-hmm. and then B, of those marbles, which are also meaningful to you? And so now do I want to make a decision based exclusively on self-interest, or do I want to make a decision based on other interest? And that totally changes the dynamic of the game for something seemingly as simple as pull a marble, get more marbles. Yeah. So it's almost like the lotto equivalent of a strategy game. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with that. And you have to think ahead. Like, I'm looking at what potion you have in front of you. Yeah. What color marbles do you need? Right. How many pulls are in front of you? Right. What's going to be left after that's done? But there's this shelf in the randomizer. So the randomizer is basically a, a slight slope into a gutter yep. where the marbles fall through. And then they land randomly in one of, like, five tracks. Um, and past that shelf before it comes out of the little uh, train tunnel that the marbles are going right, down, right. you don't know what's up there. Right. But the thing is, nobody else does it. It's perfectly symmetrical. That's right. You know the second everybody else knows. You know what potions are in front of right. you. Potions have special powers to give you special pulls. There you go. That is visually indicated because yep. you flip the potion when it's done to right. take the marbles off of it. Right. And then you flip it towards you to show that you drank it. That's right. That's right. Uh, I It's just tactically amazing to me yeah, that they let, made a perfect information game. Let me let me paint a visual picture of that of that image that, that Caleb has just built. So here's what happens. So as you're completing these potions, you're pulling them off the top of the deck and kind of saying, I want to complete this potion. So what you've got is a cardboard representation of a potion bottle. Not unlike as, if I were to finish this passion fruit kicker, which I will, <laughs> um, and I were to lay it down on its back, that, that bottle then has various spots where you place specifically colored marbles. So as I'm pulling things, I'm trying to put those marbles, corresponding colors, into those slots. 
When I finish that potion, I can then use it. So I can turn that bottle, cardboard bottle, upside down functionally and let people know that I'm doing something. So at this point, I get to take additional marbles or I get to take three out of a certain track. Mm -hmm. And what all of this has done is taken a very tactile, tactical move, which is pull a marble, and made it a very strategic long game Mm -hmm. around how badly do I want to win that marble as compared to not letting you win the next six marbles that are coming. Yeah, you can defensive pull. Yeah. Um, And like, I'll go back to the tactile thing, because like, at first I thought it was the tactile thing. But that's not like my type of fun most of the time. Like, I, you know, if you want to play Jenga, I'm I'm busy. I gotta right. go get a haircut. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I really appreciate about it is this really deep tactical perfect information game. It could have gone so wrong in production. Yeah. Like that box could be shitty and fall apart. If that box was shitty, I'd be done. Yeah. Those cardboard things could not have divots in them to place the marbles. You'd yep. just be holding that shit in your hand. Yep. Like, there's so many things they could have done. Yep. Just ruinously wrong that's making right. this game. Right. And the but the Components are such a high quality. They give right. you a bag and an extra marble bag in right. case you lose the first marble bag. Uh, the pieces are of high quality, good right. cardboard. Uh, I it could have gone. I was impressed by the tactical stuff because it could have gone so wrong. Right, and I realized that's why I was fixated on it. But is that perfect information thing? That's why I think about it tactically, and I'm like, man, we should be playing some potion explosion right now. Two thoughts on that: one, if you routinely lose marble bags, not the podcast for you, okay. Uh, and then two, <laughs> the thing that really so the first game. So I have a lot of OCD around cleanliness in my house and my you know functionally special needs dog. Um, who is just the weirdest. And so I'm, I'm worried the whole time we're playing this game that this cardboard thing is going to be so flimsy that as I pick something up, the cardboard is going to collapse, yes. and then I'm just going to have 200 marbles on my kitchen floor. Had those marbles gone down, Murray would have had a dog in he, he would He would have murdered himself. Yes. He would have doggy suicide. <laughs> and then I would have killed you. You know what I mean? So, that, so the whole time... I'm slamming bourbon, Blanton's bourbon, again, uh, you know, uh, not necessary. Get back at us. Right, but you heard, you heard, um, holla, uh, Blanton's bourbon, because I'm trying to get over the OCD of, God, when this goes south, it's going to go so far south. (laughs) And it doesn't. It's a high quality, it's a high quality build there. Yeah, the marbles are on your little potion. Yep. Or in the box. Yep. You got like a half second of hand transfer, and yep. that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. And and it can withstand the weight of me dumping a bunch of marbles back into the box. Yeah, you can like put it high up too. You can like make it rain. That's right. That's right. I'd love to see some videos of people trying trick shots with those marbles from varying <laughs> heights to see how high one could get. Get on that shit, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Someone do that. Not me. I don't want to get up on a ladder, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> Throwing's <laughs> hard. My arm's like super tired. Not my thing. Anyway, I'm empty. How about you? Yeah, potion explosion. Definitely try it. Get a beer. All right, Caleb, new beer. What you got? I thought I'd go seasonal. Uh, I'm drinking a Deschutes Juba Ale, Mm -hmm. which, subtitle, Mm -hmm. a festive winter ale. Wow. It's not bad. It reminds me a little bit of a a red, Killian's Mm -hmm. Red. Mm -hmm. It's uh, got a little bitter aftertaste, but, you know, as from pro drinking segment, right? that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Also, it makes me feel Christmassy, so isn't that what matters? That's right. Uh, Speaking of Christmassy, what are we going to talk about? Speaking of Christmas, so this is our armchair director segment, and what we're going to talk about here are some of our favorite movie things to talk about. One of the reasons Caleb and I know each other is because we spent an infinite amount of time early in our relationship talking about weird movie stuff. Yes, far too much, probably. Far too much. So today... The weird movie stuff we're going to talk about is our top five Christmas movies of all time. I'm yep. going to let you start. Oh, I'm I'm starting? I'm letting you jump right in all there, right. man. Well, Eyes Wide Shut takes place during... No. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> that was my joke. Yeah. That was my joke. Nothing says Christmas like Tom Cruise. Okay, so uh, I, I had to sex. lead with my joke one of Tom Cruise's sex mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my fifth one, also going to sound like a joke one. But this is my top five, god damn wow. it. This isn't the AFI. That's right. Jingle all the way. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm not fucking kidding. With Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and Sinbad? <laughs> yes. And Maria Shriver, when they were still together. The Camelot years. What? Uh, <laughs> is that true? Yeah. Is she the mom? She's the mom oh in Shingle on the Way. Back oh when Dateline was hot. God. <laughs> all right, go on. Why Jingle All the Way? Look, it's a Christmas movie. Yep. You're probably watching it during Christmas. Yep. You're probably watching it with family. Yep. You ain't going to make it through fucking five Christmas movies. Whoa. All right? Whoa. So they would demand watching a Christmas movie. They're your family. You probably dislike roughly half of them. Yep. Um, you need a weapon. Yep. You don't go walking the streets without a knife in your pocket. You need something ready to go. Do you they have a in- knife right now? And they, yeah. Okay. I wouldn't tell you if I did. So they insist on watching this Christmas movie and dragging this evening out. You got to shut that shit down. Sure. You got to clear out the room. Sure. What are you going to pick? Right. Jingle fucking all the way. Yeah. It's entertaining from a camp perspective. Old people don't understand irony. It's going to repel them from the room. Yep. You're going to laugh at Sinbad and Schwarzenegger flying around in a rocket suit. They're going to suddenly need to get home before it gets dark. Mm-hmm. And you have a lovely evening by yourself afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, it may not be a wonderful Christmas film. I'll be the first to admit that. Or, or a wonderful film while uh, we're at period. it. Period. Right. Uh, but in terms of my top five, I need it in there. I need yeah. it in there amongst the good ones. Did it need to be number one? It needed to be number five. We're counting down oh, towards the best. Oh, we're one. counting backwards. Yeah. Okay. It's my absolute worst that's one. That's how those lists usually go. Man. You don't start with number one God. because then no one's going to listen to the God. rest of it. Okay. So that's my producer note right yeah, there. Yeah. Producer Ross, thank you. Here's what's happened. So <laughs> Edit that out, please. Right. The Imperial Brown got all up in me. Uh, and then the Passion Fruit Kicker, which is actually what it's become, a kicker, um, is wrecking me. So, okay. That's number five. There was a moment where I thought, had I known this 10 years ago when I met you, 12 years ago when I met you... <laughs> No fucking way, man. <laughs> this would not be happening right now. It, I'm, I'm picking it because it yep. is ostensibly offensive. Right. Okay. Fair. Totally fair. Okay. Number five for me. Uh, far less weird, if I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to say it. It's the Grinch who stole Christmas, man. All right. All, All right. the feels, A. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, I think it's beautifully animated. And three, it's really got a wonderful soundtrack. And so if you're not a fan of the Grinch, I'm not a fan of you is how I feel about that. So you're, you're the original version, not the not, Jim Yeah, the animated one. Look, I love Jim Carrey. I think Jim Carrey's done great things. Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura 2, Dumb and Dumber, The Truman Show. The Grinch is not one of them. But the original animated Grinch still gets me going. In fact, last week... Had you said Jim Carrey Grinch... I had one of those, yep. like, man, I wish I could go back in time and not meet you. Totally fair. Totally fair. But uh, right. I'm cool with animated Grinch. Yeah. Last weekend, we're watching something on ABC, and ABC has a commercial for next week on ABC is the original uncut Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I've never DVR'd anything faster in my life <laughs> than that thing. Bam. Yeah. Boom. So. Uh, I, I would put it on my list. Easily in the top ten. Might right. be six. Yep. With, if I don't need a weapon. So you're saying and it would definitely it would definitely be above yeah. Jingle all the way sure. if I thought we'd get through five Christmas movies before right. I wanted these people to leave my house. Yeah. Uh, I worry about what those Cindy those Luhus. The Who's. I mean, the Grinch didn't get that way down. Down in Whoville, you know, he you know, was he was ostracized. That's they got like a sort of eugenics vibe going on down there. 
And I'm glad he like they see the everyone sees the error of their yeah. ways. I don't want to see what happens like in the Grinch during spring. That's totally like, fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems vaguely fascist. Right. Spring cleaning, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get all the green people out. Right. I will say this: every time I watch the Grinch, I'm shocked that it's only like 26 minutes. Yeah, like, it feels like a feature length film, but it's not. And I think that's the love. It's like a five act structure. That's right. But just. That's Clipping right. along. Thanks, Dr. Seuss. That's All good. right, number four. Number four. All right, uh, less weird. Less weird. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. You know, I thought you might go Nightmare Before Christmas, and I thought about putting it on mine. I'm going to, spoiler alert, I think that movie's overrated. <sighs> <laughs> Is it? Did Hot Topic hurt you? It did. <laughs> hot, hot Topic burned like an iron through the wrong hole. I just, <clears throat> all right, Why? It's a stronger Christmas message. Mm-hmm. If the if the purpose of a Christmas movie is to get me to the arc of being fucking on board for Christmas, right? No one makes a bigger arc than Jack Motherfucking Skeleton. Yeah, he comes from a completely bizarre place. Yeah, and also lets you know that like you know Christmas is celebrated your own way. It depends on your family. It depends right. on your upbringing. Right. Maybe you live in like a nightmare hellscape entirely dedicated to clowns and yep. ghosts and <laughs> creepy shit. Maybe. Uh, but you know what? It's still a time to come together with your family of clowns and ghosts and creepy shit. Yep. Um, but it also lets you know, hey, maybe don't try too hard. Maybe don't go for the materialism of Christmas. Right. Maybe just uh, be together with your family. And, you know, we all make that mistake, though. It right. gives you the permission to make that mistake, too. I, I appreciate your anti-capitalist message, comrade. <laughs> uh, my, you know, my thing is, when I watched that movie as a kid, I loved it. And now that I'm 30 and I watch it, I go, that movie's just weird. Like, that movie's just creepy, is what it is. Well, let me tell you, Jingle All the Way Age is better. It's like a fine wine. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. That's right. Yeah, because Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't age better, okay? I saw the previews for Celebrity Apprentice. He did not age better, okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. Number four for me, the Santa Claus. Yes, the one starring Tim Allen. Oh, didn't even consider that. Okay. First off, fuck you, because there are three of them and they're all great. No, no, not like a fuck you for doing it. Like angry at myself at it for forgetting it. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course you are. That's right. So the Santa Claus is so perfectly wonderful for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is the premise of the film is that Santa falls off the tool man's roof. And Tim the Tool Man puts a suit on. Bingo, bingo, gotta be Santa. Like, that's it. Like, frankly, that's how Donald Trump won the presidency, right? Like, like, like someone's leaving, so I'll put the suit on. Bingo, bingo, president. You know what I mean? So that's like, that logic to me is the most brilliant logic in the world. Plus, it's it's Tim, Tim Allen, who is like eight years removed. This guy's playing Santa like eight or ten years removed from like a cocaine bust in an airport. <laughs> Yes. God bless you, That's Hollywood. the miracle of Christmas right there. Bam. Uh-huh. Redemption. Mm-hmm. Cocaine mm-hmm. bust in Miami. That's right. Santa in 10 years. That's right. All right. Number three. Number three. Uh, Rudolph. Red Runner Rainer. Ugh. Nope. What the nope. hell? Are you just being contrarian? For, that climation shit is nightmare fuel is what that is. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. When I have a nightmare and die in my sleep, it's as claymation. Mm-hmm. Rudolph is the most progressive movie Maybe to come out in the last decade, Stop. and it came out Stop fifty it. decades. Don't give me this. That elf is shit. gay. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. It is clear as goddamn day. Yeah. He's best friends with a goddamn Yukon prospector who's adorable, a shit ton of misfit toys, and a mutant reindeer. Yeah. Like, and you know what? They can all get their shit together for yeah. fucking Christmas. Yeah. Everyone can fucking put that shit aside. Yeah. For the goddamn holidays and get the job done. Right. That's a that's a message I need to hear right. for Christmas. I appreciate the sentiment, 
that's the stuff that John Wayne Gacy watches before <laughs> before he goes to work. Is how I feel. All right, number three for me. I see why you didn't like Nightmare. Now, yeah, the, thank you. You have a right. general claymation vibe. God forbid you use a pencil or humans. Uh, <laughs> number two, Coraline. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Number one, these homemade drawings I've done. Uh, so number three for me is, and it was it, it it started as number two, and then I remembered a thing. So number three for me is one of the greatest of all time, A Christmas Story. Yeah, you don't want to watch five Christmas films in a day. I will watch all 24 hours of TBS's A Christmas Story uh, until I'm blue in the face on Christmas Day. This is going to be a quick segue because that's my number two. Boom. Boom. We, Why we, wouldn't it be? We agree on that. Yep. It's it's Norman Rockwell. That's right. It's all the like fireplace glow of nostalgia you get from that. But it's also not unrealistic. Like it's shit not. goes wrong in the holidays. Yep. You get shot in the eye. Yep. You got to beat the shit out of somebody. That's Dogs it. invade. That's it. Like, you know. You're you're, but you get over it. I get shot in the eye every day, <laughs> which is probably why you carry a knife. Now, now I hear it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, at least one. So I'll say this: so my wonderful dad, uh, as a, as a child, knowing that I love the so the Christmas story. When we when I was growing up, we would watch three films on Christmas. We'd watch a Christmas story. We'd watch the really really old Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. and then usually Scrooge would make its way in there a little bit. Yeah. And then of course we would watch probably the best Christmas movie of all time, which I'm going to save that spoiler for just a minute. Um, but we would watch a Christmas story, so at eight years old, he bought for me, wrapped and hid behind something, a Red Ryder BB gun. Nice. Man just crushes Christmas. Yeah. So, that's special awesome. place in my heart. All right, so number two for you is a Christmas story. Yeah. What's number, your number two? Okay. This is the thing which off, offset Christmas story, it's Home Alone. All right, I almost picked Home Alone. But, but you I'm, didn't, which I, I feel didn't. like is a mistake. Mm. Yeah. I can't get over them leaving that child to die. <laughs> Fair. And how horrifically abusive. They can't get over it either, which is why they did it again in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> that uncle of Kevin Salster is on a goddamn watch list. Unbelievably creepy. Absolutely. And the other fuck is like skinning animals in the backyard yep. to learn what Buzz, you know, it yep. feels like to That's right. take a life. Buzz is the guy watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's yeah. what I want to say to you. Okay. Yeah. So Home Alone, my wife says Home Alone 2 is better. That's why she's almost not my wife. Okay. <laughs> All right, and number one best Christmas movie of all time is uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Fuck yes, son. Die Hard. Uh, Bingo. Bango. High five on the mic. Not even a question. I, I would have ended my participation had it not been Die Hard. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I just deleted everything. Sarah. Yep. That's all it. right. All right. I have to defend this though, because like Do I know you? my Sarah disagrees. You have to defend this, like John McClane had to defend that building. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so look, Nakatomi sh- Tower. People, Ooh. when you're going to say Die Hard's best fucking Christmas movie ever, because you have a person of taste. That's right. People that you know, the plebes are going to say that. Oh, it just takes place at Christmas. It's not mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. You know what else takes place at Christmas? Lethal Weapon. Not a Christmas movie. That's right. Not a Christmas movie at the least. That's right. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Also another Shane Black film. Really. Also takes place at Christmas. Not a motherfucking Christmas movie. Nope. Die Hard Christmas movie. Essentially a Christmas movie. Oh, my God. So you have plot elements that don't exist without Christmas. That's right. Uh, It's not set dressing. It's not anything else that you could do any other time of the year. Like, Die Hard 2 takes place at Christmas, but you could do Die Hard 2 at Labor Day. You could do Die Hard 2 during any holiday that's this travel. Right. You need fucking Christmas packing tape Mm -hmm. to... Staple a goddamn forty-five to your back, back so you can shoot an East German terrorist that's to right. save your wife. That's right. Um, that's just plot points. Yep. Secondly, the fucking theme of the film is about overcoming crass materialism yep. in order to bring your family together during the holidays. That's right. That's right. Uh, and that's that's just a Christmas message you need, you know, punctuated with a bullet. John McClane 
travels across the country, despite the fact that he hates flying, which he makes clear in the first scene. Vehemently. Vehemently. The man's going to have to make balls of his feet on the carpet when he mm-hmm. gets to the hotel, okay? To to be with his family on a holiday where family is most important. Because Christmas is about coming together, man. Yeah. yeah. And he, he literally... Walks across broken glass to oh do it. Oh, my God. The metaphor couldn't be clear. Couldn't be clear. Hans Gruber seems to be a man of ideals, yep. seems to be fighting for it, yep. just wants those bearer bonds, he son. just wants that money. And that's why he gets his ass thrown from the top of Nakatomi Tower. That's right. Uh, also, the family is not just by blood. They break across racial barriers. They do. They break across class divides. They do. And they come together as a community. Fucking Arlo. Yep. Aces that bitch with the limo. Carl motherfucking Winslow is the it's, cop. It's, he's working on Christmas. He doesn't give a shit. He's got That's a job right. to do. The community needs him. That's what Christmas is all about. I'm not going to say that it was a prequel to Family Matters, but dude was a cop in 1980-whatever. I, I will fucking say that. Yep. And uh, my headcanon will accept nothing else. That's right. Steve Urkel, you're welcome. Uh, I mean, I kind of feel bad because he was tortured by Steve Urkel for the rest of his life. Right. But that just makes Carl Winslow a literal saint. That's what you get for killing East Germans. <laughs> yes. Have we learned nothing else in the 20th century? You get Urkels. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm empty. Here. Yeah, I'll get a new one. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? So this is uh, a grapefruit wheat, also by Mother's Brewing Co. Last year, they decided to introduce a backyard series of cans, Mm -hmm. and this is one of them. A lovely summer day. Oh, my God. On that debut. These are just absolutely wonderful. They're tall boys, and they really really get to the core of what beer should be, which is easy to drink in a can, and then you get drunk. Mm -hmm. Bingo, bingo. Three-step process. Directo. That's it. All right. Uh, so, what we're going to talk about there you go. is my deep, pervasive ignorance of sports. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I'm not total gamer stereotype. I played football. I wrestled. I did shit in high school. I don't do anything now. But I'm passingly familiar with the concept of how sports are played. Right. So, I, I don't ask what a down is or anything right. in football. Yep. Uh, beyond that, I find them... Agonizingly boring to watch mm-hmm. 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. The fucking economics of them is just perplexing to me. Phenomenal. All the way throughout, and I have no idea. Producer Ross, I think you're with me on most of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I swam in high school, and that was about it. So. Yeah. Oh, swimming. Yeah. On them swimming trades. I was, yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When I met you, I didn't think, oh, swimming. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Thanks. Interesting. No. So, uh, Spencer... D- not not that way. No. Much into the sports. Very into the sports. Watch, watching the, the sports center? All the of, center of sports? All of the sports all the time. You watch the center of sports multiple times a day. Except for hockey. Yes, that's Ex- right. Yes. yes. And so uh, I think a good segment, because, you know, podcast is a learning experience for everyone. It is. Explain some goddamn sports to me. That's right. Sports right, so This is sports planer. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I am going to give you a very real example of what happened in sports last week because it's very significant to me as a sports fan. And then I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you, and frankly, producer Ross, I'm going to tag you, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions to figure out a what would you have done given the sports vehicle, and b what else makes sense to you here. Okay, so we're going to get at both the statistical sports based question. We're also going to get at the emotional stuff. Right? All right, is this predictive? Like, what would I have done? And then, like, you see if I. 
Match like a fantasy the, football kind of thing. I match the the reality. Well, or? I'm less concerned if you make the right decision. I'm more con- more concerned with what decision you would make. Like to be clear, if I was as ignorant of politics as I am of sports, right. you could be asking me like, the, so there's these two presidential nominations. Right. How do you think this is going to turn out? Right. And you know, I could just totally right. You know, embarrass myself. That's right. That's right. Well, and maybe that's what happens here. Okay. All right. That's up to you. Yeah. All right. So let let me set some context for you. And this is a very real thing that happened only a week ago. So a week ago on Sunday night, the Kansas City Chiefs, my favorite football team, having grown up outside of Kansas City, and the Denver Broncos played on Sunday night. All right. Let me give you some some relevant context as to what we're getting to when I give you this question. So. The significance of the game. Going into the game, both of these teams are tied in their division at seven and three, seven wins and three losses. And they're tied for functionally second place with some stipulations behind the Oakland Raiders who are surging this year, unbeknownst to everyone. All mm-hmm. right. Um, had the season ended on Sunday, all right, both of those teams would make the playoffs, both the Chiefs and the Broncos. So there are at some, seven and three. That's right. There are some stakes available here. So the, the Raiders are clearly going to get into the playoff, playoffs that day as the division champion. But both the Chiefs and the Broncos would make it as the two, and there are only two wild card spots out of the AFC. All right? But this game is going to knock one of them out. That's right. This game is going to change things. The winner of this game <clears> is going <throat> to firmly take that second spot in the AFC West, which is their division. The loser of the game is going to go from that second spot to seventh, which is significant because the top six teams from the AFC would make the playoffs. The seventh team would not. So it would functionally knock the loser out of playoff contention if the season were to end today. There's four weeks left, so it doesn't. But you can see. Is this a common occurrence? It is. It is. Sometimes divisions get so close, and the closer you get to the end of the season, what happens is your records become so tight mm-hmm. that a loss is the difference maker between getting because every playoffs. game is slowly killing your brain that's so right you can't have more games <laughs> that's absolutely right well, yeah. cte right. is a real thing <laughs> you know the other thing to remember about the nfl season is that's only 16 games so you only really get so many chances to mess up your playoff spot you know what i mean mm-hmm. so uh okay winner of the game is going to take second loser is going to get bumped down to seven so here's what happens there are a number of precipitating events which lead to this point and we'll get into those in a moment but with a minute left in overtime so overtime. And in football, overtime is functionally a fifth 15-minute period. Yes. Now, I don't know how familiar you are. It's not sudden death. It's not. Uh, well, it kind of is in, in as much as if the first team to take possession of the ball in overtime scores a touchdown, the game is over. All right? Yeah, because they're going to run out the clock. Well, no. It's just the game is over. Oh, if, okay. Yeah. But then if you kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance to respond. The NFL overtime rules are a Gordian knot of weird. Okay? okay. So it just is what it is. But As opposed to the rest of sports. That's right. Which is totally self-explanatory. Super simple. Which numbers is why we have this numbers. segment. All right. Bingo. So with a minute left in overtime, uh, the game is tied, and the Broncos have the ball. All right. Now the Broncos, Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So maybe you've been out of sports for a while. That's right. That's right. So was he a Bronco at one point? He was. A, he won two Super Bowls as a Bronco and is now the Broncos general manager. Fucking A, half credit. Fucking A, half credit. So here's what happens. A minute left. The game is tied 27 to 27. Broncos have the ball. It's fourth down, 10 yards to go. Mm-hmm. All right. What that means is... Uh, they've got to either make up 10 yards to get to a first down right. or – right. Okay, I get right. the basic rules. Yeah, good, yeah. good, good, good. All they right. have one last chance to get a touchdown. So yeah. the, the Broncos functionally have three options with a minute left at fourth and 10. All right, Option number one is from where they are on the field, they can try to kick a field goal. But that field goal attempt would be from 62 yards. Sixty-two. Is that like a close to a record? That that would be close to a record. I think actually the record was set by Matt Prater, a Denver Broncos kicker at Denver, and I think it was sixty-seven, which is also 
fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, no. yeah, that's a mistake. Kick a sixty-two <laughs> yard field goal is option number one. Option number two, they could try to run an offensive play and convert the ten yards to get a first down because a first down would give them a new set of downs, or they could kick a field goal from a much more manageable range, at yes. least from sixty-two to fifty-two. Yeah, fifty-two is still not a gimme, right? Yeah, but it's more manageable. Option three is to punt the ball to the Chiefs. Now, if you punt the ball, the Chiefs will get the ball, you know, you think perfect scenario, inside their own 20-yard line. But there's yeah. only a minute left. Yeah. How likely is it they're going to move down the field? Mm-hmm. If they don't move down the field... And they're still tied? And they're still tied, the game ends in an official tie. The NFL does not extend the game beyond that 15-minute period. So if it ends in a tie, it's a tie. And, a tie, and you're both wild cards? And you're, well, no. The tie functionally counts as a half win, all right? But what it means is instead of being seven and four or eight and three, it means you're seven, three, and one. So ties can really screw up playoff seeding towards the end of the season. Mm. All right. And because of the Chiefs record in the division and the Broncos record in the division, had there been a tie, it actually would have hurt the Broncos more than it would have hurt the Chiefs, because the Chiefs have a back better. And the Broncos record. have the ball. Yeah. The Broncos oh, okay. have the ball. All right. So so they so, definitely they want to win. They, they don't want to tie. Well, I mean, that's what I'm yeah. going to ask you. So you're the Broncos coach. Yeah. Minute left. You can kick a 62-yard field goal or attempt to kick a 62-yard field goal. You can try to run a play and convert convert fourth and 10 to first and 10. Right. Or you can punt the ball. Caleb, what do you do? All right. Uh, I, have a, I have subsequent questions. Yep. So they're fourth and 10. <laughs> yep. Have they just been fucking stuffed? And three downs? Great question. Great question. Or did like they make some progress? There was a sack, yep. like a bad blitz. Like what happened? Oh, are so, they gonna are they what's what are their chances of actually making those ten yards? That's right. Yeah. Great question. So here's what happened. The first half ended with the score tied nine to three. Mm. By the time we get to overtime, the score is twenty seven to twenty seven. In the second half, the Broncos had an offensive renaissance and their quarterback was crushing it. So good defense, but flagging near the end. Yeah. Especially in the fifth quarter. Yeah. Oh, shit. What would I have done? This is why we're going to have speed rounds later. <laughs> well, okay. All right. The the record field goal. Yep. Current general manager, different general manager. Okay. Great question. Let me give you some, rele- some statistical yeah. bias yep. shit. Yep. Let me give you relevant statistics on field goals at Mile High Stadium in Denver. <laughs> All right? A 62-yard field goal is reasonably difficult. However, in Denver, here are some notes about field goals. Kicks in Denver because it's mile high, so it's literally thinner air, on average, have about a five-yard longer range. In fact, at all other NFL stadiums, kickers are likely to make field goals between 50 and 59 yards only 60% of the time, but in Denver, 70% of the time. Because there is an added bonus to kicking at that altitude. Thank you to Bill Barnwell and Brian Burke for these kinds of statistics and the internet. Okay, all right. Damn. All right. 70% a good odd in RPG standards. That call of Cthulhu, I'm going to roll the dice on yep. 70%, right? And, you know, you're more likely to get that than, to ten, uh, than the 10-yard conversion to fourth down. Okay. However, brand new subsequent question. Is yeah. this level of analysis typical of sports? So I would uh, imagine for the NFL because there's so much money. It is. There are, I mean, high level, like, yeah, of course, you're making millions of dollars. So, I mean, like, yeah. on the fan level. So I could be misspeaking. On the fan level, maybe not. I could be misspeaking, but Bill Barnwell, for example, who writes for ESPN and who was writing for Bill Simmons' Grantland before Grantland went away, 
And Grantland was great. Grantland Solid was journalism. Great. Well, if you like Grantland, just read The Ringer, because it's the same thing, not sponsored by ESPN. Okay. But, uh, sorry, ESPN. But Barnwell <laughs> was employed by the Jaguars for a period of time. I think it was the Jaguars, for this very purpose. I, I know that, but, like, I, I have a deeper cultural question beyond this, this, this Fair. predictive issue. Fair. Are the same people who's like, Colin Kaepernick took a knee, get a rope! Right. Like, fucking got their barometers out. Like, <laughs> right. simultaneously doing science. Because if that's the case... I don't know how the world works. Right, right. Like okay. I, I'm having an existential crisis. Totally with you. Deeper. I will kick. I would kick the ball at seventy percent. Okay. That's what I was looking for. I think you. What happens stalling? if they kick the ball and it fails? <laughs> okay, if they kick the ball and miss, great question. Yeah. Conversion at the what is it? The forty. The Chiefs will get the ball on the Broncos forty on their own forty-four yard line. Forty-four. Yeah, and they have a minute to move the ball within manageable field goal territory. But they start at the forty. Yeah. Wow. Forty-four. Yeah. So roughly midfield. Yeah. They're right. already at. Manageable so you've got to make a decision. Over. Three, two, one, go. Caleb, what do you do? Kick the ball. Kick on. the ball. Okay. Producer Ross, what do you 70% do? Seventy percent is a good roll. Uh, I to to in the fair of disclosure, uh, my dad explained this the exact thing to me because he's always trying to get me into football. You got a, right? yeah. you got a so dad I, who's in the sports, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cheater. I know. Um, get off. But I would run it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So okay. I would try and make the ten yards because okay. if we're having a great offense. Run or pass? Uh, or pass. just like go for it. Pass because yeah, like pass. you're not going to get ten yards on a run. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So here's what happens: Denver tries to kick the field goal. They miss. Chiefs get the ball. They move 32 yards in less than a minute. And then their kicker, Cairo Santos, puts one through to win the game with five seconds left. At the 32-yard well, line? No, he moves 32 yards from the 44. So whatever that so number like is. it's like 12. It ends up being like a 40-plus yarder. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, was like, I thought he was at his own 32. Yeah. It was like, holy shit. No. So yeah. Chiefs win. Here's what ends up happening. Chiefs win. It's all great. Everybody's happy in my house. All right. So number one question I want Twitter to blew up about this. Twitter blew up about this. I tried to I knew get, the Chiefs won. Right. I knew that much. Right. I didn't know how they won. There you go. You're welcome. Yeah. I tried to get Twitter popular <laughs> off this very moment. It didn't work. So, you know, here we are trying something else. Um, so the first thing I wanted to know was what would you do? Second thing I wanted to know as quickly as possible is all of the precipitating events which lead to this scenario, which is would you or would you not kick it? The Chiefs give up a, like, 78-yard touchdown with three minutes left to go down by eight points. And at that point in my life, I turned the TV off and had to decide if I still wanted to be married or not. Because if I didn't, <laughs> I would have continued to burn my house down, which is what I was doing. Is there anything in your life that is so irrelevant as a sports game <laughs> that makes you so unnecessarily frustrated and angry as that kind of thing makes me? Oh, as irrelevant? I don't know. Maybe like a Dark Souls game? <laughs> nice. Yeah, like... Nice. I get real pissed off at those, even though, like, I just have a lot of other games I can play, man. Yeah. Like, that's and probably I, it. Yeah, and I don't. Producer Ross? Um, I, I wouldn't say, like, uh, a game itself, but, like, uh, sometimes when I hear... Uh, actually, for me, it wasn't even. Uh, I'll, I'll give an example: of the new Ghostbusters movies. I I thought it was an okay movie. I just hated the campaign against it because I thought like no one could ever judge that movie accurately again. Sure. So things like that, when people are when something becomes something other than itself, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I don't know how else to say it. So yeah. yeah. So it's like if they if there hadn't been stakeless so, prejudice. Yeah, stakeless prejudice. Wow. There you go. Like God. I hate women. In this totally inconsequential way to the way the world other hates women. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, God damn it, Mm -hmm. Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dirty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just wish people, yeah, if they hadn't Mm -hmm. done that, then we could have, like, talked about whether or not it was a funny movie or not. And, like, nobody would have made a big deal about it. Yeah, you can't even, like, campaign against a Nazi when they're just, like, 
Right. Hating Ghostbusters. You're just like, yeah. this is like a shit. Because where I'm yeah. stuck is, like, I don't think the Chiefs should have won that game. I think they played, like, shit for the second half of the game. And yet here I am going, well, yeah, but they're 8-3, and three, so they're one of the best teams in the league, right? Like, let's all get over it. Because I can't not have an unbiased, weird approach to, you know, what was otherwise kind of a shitty second half from a football team that yeah. I love. And I've watched enough Chiefs games with you and in my life right. to just be vicariously infuriated yep <laughs> when they blow shit yep. at the last minute yep because it's kind of their thing at times it's their thing yeah yep all right all right you need another beer yeah let's do this And new beer. Uh, as I'm getting a little bit sauced here, you just crack something else open to, to get to that same state of mind. Where are you now? Well, I don't know if it's going to happen because I cracked open a uh, Boulevard Snow and Tell. Oh, like Show and Tell, get it? Yeah. Yeah. And Oak Age Scotch Ale. But uh, I want to preface this normally a fan of Boulevard. Right. T- at avidly drinkable. Rattler, just doing new things. Boulevard Ginger Lemon Rattler. D- yeah. Ball doing game. new things in fruity beer. Yep. This, I'm not sure it's beer. Uh, as uh, producer Ross said when he tried it uh, before me, uh, it's it's all aftertaste. That's right, and no actual taste. I've I've had stronger waters. Yep, yep. So, uh, but we're gonna have to muscle through. That's we're, right. We're nothing if not uh, stalwart. That's right. In our pursuit of beer. Speaking of things that you don't love, but you're gonna muscle through. <laughs> This segment is about things that you've binged lately, okay? So this is Binge Binger, uh, and it's going to be our approaches to favorable binge things that you can assumably find. To be clear, not like relevant or topical in terms of time, because neither is TV That's right, man. That's right. Like, it's totally divorced of when it came out. Amen. So, like, if I start talking about Hill Street Blues, you just... Fucking handle it. That's right. I'm going right. to talk to you about Hell Street Blues. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to discuss our favorite binge-worthy guilty pleasures. And that's the key today. Today's binge-worthy topic is guilty pleasures. Yes. So I'm going to let you start. I like that we're starting with this in the very first episode of the podcast. Because, you know, if you don't like me at my worst. That's right. You know, you can't have me at my best. You will hate him at his best. Yes. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm starting with the guilty pleasure, right? Get in there. Oh, man. It hurts to even say. I've watched like five seasons of True Blood, dog. Fucking right. Like, and like, I didn't like slowly move my way through them as I was like old boy locked in a room, unable to watch anything else. It's like, oh shit, new season of True Blood. Next one. Let's go get that shit now. Mm -hmm. Let's finish it in Mm -hmm. three days. That's right. And. I have theories as to why. I, I couldn't tell you if they're accurate. I It just happens. It's just a thing that happens to me. Yep. True blood happens to me. Right. And I watch it, and it's, uh, it's fucking brutal. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to get into that a little bit. So here, here's <laughs> what I know about true blood. The first episode I ever watched was on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Good time for True Blood. <laughs> what else are you doing at 10 a.m.? You know, not watching the Chiefs because it's stressful. As Sounds well. like church to me. Go That's for right. it. That's right. So I watched True Blood Sunday morning, 10 a.m. A friend brings it over for my wife and I to watch because she's convinced that we're going to love it. And I'm looking at her like, bitch. We get through one episode at 10 a.m. And 13 hours later, we're still watching True Blood. Yes. Yep. That is fucking it, right? Yep. I watched the first episode. We got it on loan from a friend, yep. so I didn't buy it because I knew it looked and sounded and was entirely terrible. Yep. 
We watch one episode at Sarah's behest. Going to put the first one on her, though eventually, you know, I have to claim my own addiction. Right. We watched the first one. We're like, that was shit. Right. Like, it was exploitative, dumb shit. Yeah. Play again. The weekend leaves. Yep. Like, I'm That's suddenly right. back at work. I don't know what's happened, That's except right. I'm just thinking about Sookie. Yep. Thinking about Bill. Yep. And that fucking love triangle with the crazy Nordic Viking. The crazy Nordic Viking. Here's the... So I've never done meth, but I've read <laughs> accounts of a meth den. A place where one goes for a few days to, like, unplug and just do meth. What my house looks like after a True Blood Marathon. That's right. I don't know what happened. I know that at 10 a.m. on Sunday, we started watching True Blood, and at like 5 p.m. on Thursday, I was through season four of True Blood, and I'd lost weight, and I was jittery, and there were Jimmy John's wrappers everywhere. It looked like I'd just been a Jimmy John's trash can for a few days, and then I thought, oh, well, that's what True Blood does to you. What do you think it is about True Blood? All right. um, I will say there's one part I unapologetically love. Lafayette. Yeah. The openly gay. Yep. Just not supernatural at all. Yep. In your face. That's right. Gay fry cook. Yep. At the diner. He is into uh, it. He The acting is brilliant. Unbelievable. Every scene he's in, I just want to see more. Yep. Absolutely great. Everything else causes me deep and abiding shame. Um, and it's almost as if True Blood doesn't want me to continue watching. Right? It's, <laughs> it's daring me to continue. By season five, Sookie is revealed to be a literal fairy. A fairy. Not like, not like a slur. Nope. Not like metaphorical. Full on. She is from the fairy, fairy kingdom. Fairy. That's why the vampires love her so much. That sweet, sweet fairy blood. Smells like fairy blood. Mm. Yep. It tastes so good. Yep. Better than human blood. Favorite candle scents. Pumpkin, apple, fairy blood. Totally get it. <laughs> totally get it. And uh, I, re- I really can't put it to that. Here's one thing. Uh, as an educator, yep. I would often ridicule privately, of course, not into their face because right. they're reading anything at all and I'm okay with it. I want you to know that this is very public, but go on. I know. I would mm-hmm. privately ridicule... Uh, you know the students' taste in Twilight. Right, I can no longer do that right. because True Blood is Twilight. Yeah, with, I wanna, I with wanna more fucking, I want to push back on that. With fuck, like right. no, Twilight is True Blood, but deeply Mormon repressed. Mm. So I've never seen a Twilight nor read a Twilight. That's one of the great badges of honor I have left. I've seen I've seen the films and I've read like a hundred pages before I could not stomach it even more, right. even for the joy of education. I assume that those Boy Scout badges are not added, but instead they are subtracted. So, you are, so like Plato, <laughs> I lost a couple badges. That's right. Like Plato, you are born with all of them, and then they are taken away as you give up things. Yeah. I still have my have not seen and or read Twilight badge. Yeah. So I don't know what you're talking about. I lost it. And it felt so good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's what yeah, that's what she said. So here's my guilty pleasure, um, and I've been thinking a lot about this because functionally 85% of my life is guilty pleasures, which is probably why I'm a little overweight and doing a podcast where I drink beer routinely as part, <laughs> I don't of, know you're part of the vehicle. Um, my, my guilty pleasure is season one of Supergirl, which you can find on Netflix. See, I, I want – here's the thing. As a friend yeah. – I want to return the enthusiasm right. you gave back to me for True Blood. Yeah. Because it felt like such a moment of solidarity. Yeah. And yet I cannot do that. Nope. Nope. I get that. Okay. <laughs> so here's what I've done because I knew I was going to be left in the cold on this one. So I've made concurrent lists, a list of why I feel guilty about it, and a list of why I think it's also a pleasure. Ooh, a pro-con. That's right. Is there a middle to the event? Uh, a plus delta, All right. as, as teachers might say. All right. So here are the reasons that I'm guilty. All right, I feel guilty for my love of Supergirl. Reason number one is 
they treat nostalgia like a lubricant for something you wouldn't want. Okay? So not like a lubricant like, oh, that's going to make that more fun, but a lubricant for like, oh my god, that's going to make that not fun thing more easy. All right? So let me give you a couple examples. So Supergirl's... Like this part doesn't really fit, but it'll get you to the shop. And that's right. Cramming it in. That's right. Like very literally, what am I going to do right. with this square peg in this round hole? Yeah. Well, I'll put Are you describing a True Blood storyline? No. Yeah, yeah, I am. With Eric, Eric the, the Nordic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Don't so get me started. He, l- let me give you some a key example of this in Supergirl season one. Spoiler alert: the adoptive parents of Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, for you nerds that don't know that, um, are Dean Kane, who played <laughs> Superman on the Adventures of Lois and Clark. Don't tell me like I don't know who played Lois and Clark. Cool. Okay, but, all right. Yeah. N- notice that you admitted to that. Okay. <laughs> in a public way, and Helen Slater. Who played Supergirl in the Supergirl movie in the late 80s, motherfucker? Didn't know that. Oh, my God. She came on screen, and I was like, you have got to be fucking with me. Because here I am, having grown up with Superman as my gym. I was a Superman kid, not a Batman kid. God oh, bless. we're going to have to talk all about right? that one of these days. All right, all right. Peace, loving. Okay. Um, <laughs> and Supergirl was, for me, this like very odd thing as a child. Because it's like, wait a minute. There's a woman who does this, too, and it was Helen Slater that played Supergirl. She is one of the adoptive parents married to Dean Cain. So so what they've tried to do is they've tried to get someone like me who knows this, right? And they're saying, like, oh, hey, see what we did here? We did this for you. We've made, we've made this <laughs> reference for you, all right? Come along with us. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. But the whole time I'm going along with them. Okay, so <laughs> one is this, this treatment of nostalgia, why I'm guilty. Number two, why I'm guilty. They give literally zero fucks about canon. All right? So here are the things they do to screw with Superman lore. Lois Lane and Lois Lane's dad are like militant military personnel who hate Supergirl. Okay? No, not Lois Lane. Lois Lane's sister. Sorry. Lois Lane's sister and Lois Lane's dad are militant military personnel in this adaptation that hate Supergirl. Wait, what? Yes. No, you've heard me correctly. So Lois Lane's time. like, I'm part of the military. No, sister. no, her sister. I know, but like, she's from a family that is deeply ingrained in the military, Boom. industrial complex, deep state. Yep, hating all like xenophobic to the max. Xenophobic, and to the she's max. not like, hey, dad. Nope, lay off the Kryptonians. Nope. In fact, <laughs> her dad hates Supergirl so much that he builds the Red Tornado, a really wonderful part of the Justice League lore. Not a guilty pleasure at all. Just a fantastic show, right? To really fucking murder Supergirl, okay? To test against Supergirl. Yeah, I don't give. Uh, they didn't lube up that cannon first. Well, no, there they was didn't. no nostalgia nope, lube when that, they went after the cannon. That is metal on metal right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Okay, not a pun. All right, so Jimmy Olsen is a love interest in Supergirl. Okay, Jimmy Olsen is a love interest for literally no one. Literally no <laughs> one. That is the value of Jimmy Olsen. Yes. He's asexual. He is a platonic ideal. You know what of he is? He, he is an anthropomorphic human camera. Okay. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a, he's a walking plot device. It's like, why does Superman care to stop that villain? Because well, Jimmy Olsen's in right, it. right. Because pictures. Okay? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know who solved that problem? iPhone. Okay, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> so just back up, bro. All right. Uh, the House of L, which is the house from which Superman hails, mm-hmm. has some homicidal parts in Supergirl. In fact, the big bad in season one is a married-on edition of the House of L. So the House of L, which is this benevolent house, which gives regal to the S-Crest yeah. in all of the previous Superman stories, is actually a married-in homicidal maniac who tries to take down Supergirl in season one. So they're like Zod and... 
Kal-El are from the same family, yeah. basically, now. Yeah, so I just want to say this, and I want to make this very clear to anyone who actually listens to this thing at some point in the near future. You fuck with the House of El, you fuck with me, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that, okay? So these are all the reasons I'm guilty about it. Yeah, Here's a lot reason. of guilt. A lot of guilt. Here, here's the pleasure, all right? Ace of Point, because CBS doesn't know how to do anything, they've kicked <laughs> this series to the CW, which means that it exists in the Arrowverse. And I think the Arrowverse is the greatest thing to happen to DC Comics in the last 10 years. Because the Arrowverse... Certainly better than Zack Snyder. Amen. Certainly better than Zack Snyder. You know who can't touch the Arrowverse on CW? Zack Snyder. Yeah. Because it's below him in his vaunted graphic designer position. And thank right? God. So the Arrowverse is absolutely wonderful. And if you're not into it, I'm not into you. Arrow, <laughs> Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Not Great, and Supergirl can now all live together. Which I absolutely love. Okay? Because it makes it feel like an Avengers, but for me. All right? <laughs> Second reason, pleasure. Uh, it's a fairly decent, decent screen adaptation of Superman. So they actually bring Superman into Supergirl as like a buddy cop character. Really? He comes over from Metropolis at some point, and he's like, oh, hey, cuz, since you're doing stuff super and I'm doing stuff super, let's do stuff super together, okay? <laughs> so he comes to hang out for a few episodes, and he's the most convincing Superman since Brandon Routh. Notice the only Superman that I skipped there was Henry Cavill. I hope you're listening, Henry Cavill. <laughs> okay? And then thing number three, Melissa Benoist, who pays super, plays Supergirl, is an absolute gem. Oh, my God. American I will treasure. I will be you on that. Oh my I'm, god. I'm totally with you on that. The shit she's doing with like Girl Scouts. Oh. The little imager photos. It could just be like PR bullshit. It oh probably is. It's working. Good yeah. job. Give that guy a race. Totes totes adorbs, okay? Yeah. DC has now made two incredibly significant decisions with Grant Gustin as the Flash and Melissa Benoist as Supergirl, where they've said, We're not gonna find ballin' ass motherfuckers. We're gonna find adorable humans that people love. And we're going to make TV shows around them. And I appreciate that. That warms my heart because that's what it should be. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely love Melissa Benoist. Uh, I hate almost everything else, as I've noted. <laughs> um, except for the Superman adaptation. So my guilty pleasure and my hardcore recommendation to you, if you have 26 hours to kill, <laughs> is Supergirl Season 100. Like we all do from time to time. That's right. That's yeah. right. And now that I've admitted that to you, I've poured my heart out. I need to get another beer. Yeah. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? All right. So I've made just, frankly, a bad decision. So here's what happened. We started this with an Imperial Brown. Mm -hmm. And then after that Imperial Brown, I had two other beers. Framing device, though. And then I'm going to end with an Imperial Stout. So this is a Narwhal by Sierra Nevada out of Chico, California. It is a really lovely bottle. Uh, it doesn't... Oh, it's 10.2% alcohol. <laughs> so... This is why we're not going to work tomorrow. Translate. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. So I'm already, oh, man, I'm already having some problems uh, processing things, <laughs> which is why we saved our most difficult topic for our last topic, Caleb. So we're going to call this segment Drunk Enough to Solve the World's Problems. Boom. Uh, and we might just shorten it to Drunk Enough. We might. Because shortening things. Yep. It's probably going to be a theme yep. of the Six of the Beer It's been a theme segment. of my sex life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. As you can see, uh, we wait to get to the deep shit mm. after we've... Uh, also a theme of my sex life. <laughs> ...drank enough beers to be earnest. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're overly uh, educated for our positions. 
Uh, and we like to pontificate about dumbass shit. Yeah, we do. Uh, so, uh, on this week's Drunk Enough, mm-hmm. my current issue uh, with the world today, right. and uh, a, str- a continuous issue with being a teacher and an educator for all my life, That's right. cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. The question as I'll frame it, is it possible to overcome? Mm-hmm. And if so, how? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. We should probably define it first, though. Right. What, right. How are you visioning cognitive dissonance? That's a great question. So I taught cognitive dissonance uh, as a persuasive strategy for a number of years mm-hmm. at the two universities with which I was happy to teach classes. We ain't just whistling Dixie. That's right. Uh, well, a little bit of both. Yeah. So for me, cognitive dissonance at its base is uh, about the inability to reconcile at a theoretical level. Uh, that two conflicting thoughts and or actions can be absolutely true in your mind. So the notion that I understand that smoking is terribly bad for me, and yet I'm going to buy this pack of cigarettes because I've made an exception somewhere in my mind Mm -hmm. which would interrupt that dissonant thought. Yes. So this came easy to you as we were talking about, hey, if we were going to talk about difficult things to comprehend and discuss while drunk, this one seemed to stand out to you. So what was it as a teacher... At an, frankly, underfunded, uh, small-ish school district, what is it that stands out to you about cognitive dissonance? Uh, so, for me, um, the ability to hold both those ideas in your mind and have, like, temporary exceptions is, to me, a sort of ideal scenario. Right, right. Because most of the time I get it more like, uh, what are those, fighting fish? What is the name of those fish that, like, if you put them in the same tank, they will one will murder the other? Right. Sounds like sounds like they're fighting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. Also, murder fish. Yeah, murder fish. Good name. Um, the fact of the matter is, is like the idea that you can have a temporary exception and just sort of be hypocritical, right. Is actually a step up from what I normally see, mm-hmm. which is total conceptual rejection. Mm-hmm. It does not fit the cognitive set, and so it is fucking out like from the moment you hear it regardless of evidence regardless of who says it regardless of life circumstance that presents it to you yeah it is just uh verboten Mm -hmm. uh and Mm -hmm. gone Mm -hmm. um i'm a catholic i don't get that uh yeah okay (laughs) so and then the idea that like you can sort of uh, hypocritically thing that's the thing that makes me pose the question in such sort of a despairing way is it possible to overcome? Sure. Because um, now that said, I teach. Uh, I've taught my whole life in the high school level, right? And I rarely get to work with kids across their whole lives. So maybe I plant the I plant the seed hypocritical level, and it blooms later. Right. But I have to take that on something akin to a religious faith. Right. I don't get to see that yeah. if it's antithetical to the set, whatever that set may be, set by circumstance. Or by parental indoctrination or cultural indoctrination. Sure. Uh, I don't, I rarely get to see, like, oh, that's wrong. Reform the set. Right. More often than not, I'll get like, oh, it's okay here, but never. Or just F you, I will get a 0% in the class because you're a lizard person sent by Obama to brainwash me. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, as a lizard person, so, you know, we're, it seems like we're kind of navigating to... I'm very cold. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about that, but I felt like it was out of place, you know? If Sarah never mentioned it, I figured, okay. Uh, it seems like we're navigating two conceptual waters. So, the one was the, it's the water of cognitive dissonance, and the other is the water of, like, the fundamental attribution error. This notion that 
Um, when I do a thing that violates an expectation, it's okay because I have a reason for doing it. So when I, for example, vote against my self-interest, it's because I see the greater good in voting against my self-interest. But when other people vote against seemingly their self-interest, fuck them. Because they're oh. the ones that are eroding self-interest. Oh, no. This goes full-blown existential. Because I realize if what I suspect of other people is true, I am doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Merely do not have the faculties to recognize it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we get to, like, who really controls Caleb. And then we get into, like, a whole existential late-night despair kind of sure, thing. Sure, sure. Um, so... Don't want to push that far, yep. but I, I have recognized that sort of meta level that if you are right, you are right about yourself, right? And you cannot even recognize what is right, right, wrong. About so, give me examples of the things that you've seen that have caused you to go, man, cognitive dissonance. What a fuck. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Give me examples. All right, um, you should read a damn book. Mm-hmm. 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 Not you should read this book. Mm-hmm. Not specific information in the just book. a book. Can. Receiving information through your eyes, right? Ocularly. In terms of ink on paper, uh-huh. has been beneficial to mankind in the past. It has. And statistically, That's right. it will be beneficial to That's you. Right. A hill I have fought and died on, like Tom Cruise in that goddamn shitty movie, like. Uh-huh. Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow, there you go. Thank you. Go. Uh, oh, I also want to say those fish are called betas. Mm-hmm. Beta, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, Producer wow. Ross, that's why wow. we Producer pay Ross. you the big bucks. Can we, get, can we get like a sound effect and, of you being right? What's that sound? Uh, ding. ding! Yeah. Angelic Choir? Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes. Um, even that much, and I admit that there's frustration of reading. I am a gifted reader. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that I'm not, you know, suffering from dyslexia yep. or from text poor environments and mm-hmm. shit like that. Mm-hmm. But the concept that, like, no, fuck all that. Mm-hmm. Reading's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, as an idea, can right. be like, because, like, there's shit I know I should do for myself for better health. Right. Not have a podcast where we drink six beers every right. week. Fail. <laughs> not make that podcast because you drink so many beers right. you want a tax deduction. Failed. Um, work out. Ever failed. Yes. Yeah. I know those things are good for me, right. even though as I don't do them. Yeah. And I'm at the hypocritical level. Yeah. I'm fully aware right. this is self-destructive. That's right. Watch me self-destruct. That's right. I have kids, and you have kids in college. Well, not like actual children. Yeah, but, but like you have you have students. Yes, you have students in college right. that I have only thirty. So I'm not even reached that you know? stage that like I should read more. Right. Like the I should read more as like. New Year's resolution plan yeah. shit, yeah. that's a victory condition for me mm-hmm. for a lot of the time. Because mostly it's like, I don't need that book learning. Mm-hmm. It's going to pervert me. It's mm-hmm. going to take me away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring me into your evil cabal of political conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And this is on both left and right. Sure. I've had it from both directions. Uh, this sort of like pervasive anti-intellectual idea in America, which I don't think is debatable. It exists. It exists. Can't overcome it. Right. Like, just, I, I spend all day fingernails against that wall. Right. That's, and, and that's just the beginning of shit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of thing I come up against. That so, makes me despair the condition. So for you, then, talk about, um, be, because one of my responses to the whole thing was uh, to say, what if I just, what if I went to an academic level, the university, where it literally was for at least more of a portion of the population to choose to participate in that conversation. But, I mean, you want to talk about selection bias. 
No, yeah, 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 totally. But it's not like I wasn't running into that, right? Because yeah. in the university then, you've got a slightly different take, which is that now I'm at a university level. And so there's an assumption that because I'm at a university level, but for some universities, I must be at a liberal level of things, even though I myself am not a liberal, right? Which is the, Which becomes the – especially for someone who taught at a university in an area surrounded by rural in terms of culture and in terms of economy – uh, the notion then that one would be both at a university and would be willing to listen to university-type things which traditionally fit into a bucket that we might call liberal seem to be um, incoherent with mm-hmm. one another. You exist at a, at a secondary education level where the choice to go to school is not so much of a choice as it is a mandate by the state. Yes. What kind of tension does that cause for you as a teacher every day? Uh, quite a bit. Yeah. But at the same time, I recognize I'm not in an institution that is – like I, I ascribe to the like when I tell my kids to go to college, I don't tell them to go so they can get like a car and a fence and two and a half kids and a dog named Spot and some American Dream shit. Right. I go back to like why did college exist? Right. Get closer to God. Mm-hmm. Oh, learn. You saw the Jonathan Edwards thing. Yeah, yeah. Learn more about the world. Right. Become a deeper, more empathetic person. Yeah. And it may not be capital G God. Right. It may be capital T Truth. It may be whatever you. It may be personal purpose, whatever yeah. existential thing you is, but that is the reason to go. Yeah. Expose yourself to different things. Become a wider and more versed human being. Maybe you get a certificate that gets you a higher paying job. Maybe you get a creative writing degree. Ding! This guy. Um, mm-hmm. and Who's doing a podcast with beer now. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you become. I, I'm so glad I went rather than staying in my town and that I could – a range of financial situation yeah. to go to. Talk to me about the the tension between the empathy narrative yeah. and the ultra-conservative make-more-money narrative. And here's the thing. I don't want to make this entirely political because totally. I think it's deeper. Yeah. So I get kids the other way. Like as the got one guy who's saying Harry Potter isn't teaching you to sacrifice infants to the devil in the school, uh, I get I attract a certain element. Yeah. And I get kids that are like, "Hey, you know, you know, we're free speech. I can, I can love whoever I want. Yeah, so I don't care. I'm not gonna do anything. Don't go out until you leave. Right? Like, don't do that. Um, it's like I can do whatever I want. I can smoke whatever I want and do what I want. I'm like, no, no, it's not a, it's not a 100 percent thing. You can't. There are consequences to your actions. Right. It's not everything. No, I don't listen to you. You're a stupid teacher. I'm like, well, you came to me because I'm not like those other teachers, and I'm telling you, like those other teachers, that they're right about that. Like. Maybe don't shoot shit into your vein. Like maybe keep it to stuff that's plant based. Like uh, and keep it outside of school. Like right. you, you know, you know, I'm not not big demands. And there's like, no, it's fine. And then you know, you jump forward a year, and they f- are officially missing. Right. Um, right. And so it's not just you know the the right wing kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like a psychological issue, and I wonder like how much can I teach right. if a kid doesn't already know it? Right. From your and per- from a calm perspective, because yeah. you have a communication theory, I yeah. feel like persuasion, like yeah. this is the art of overcoming cognitive dissonance. Right. So I didn't know what your thoughts were. So, you know, when, when you think about the, the history of communication philosophy, it exists in, in three phases. The, the third of those phases, or the second maybe, depending on your timeline, is in the pre-Socratic Greeks and then, and then into the sophists. Mm-hmm. And the sophists are in some ways – a very disengaged in terms of morality and value uh, group of folks who suggest that the the goal of communication is to be functional, not to be ideological. 
And so if in the Greek pulpit one needs to defend themselves on behalf of X decree, I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself in that specific instance in that specific time rather than as, as compared to said value. And so this notion that communication could be detached from value or moral or societal norm, um, you know, I'm, I'm struck that cognitive dissonance is in some way a very interesting uh, internal battle between those people who would disassociate themselves from what they think is right and what they say is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that by and large, cognitive dissonance has become a part of the bully pulpit, not an exception to the bully pulpit. I feel like the the grand scheme of the 2016 election, which I ought not talk about because while I have had enough to drink to stutter my words, I have not had enough to drink to swallow 2016. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For it, no amount of booze exists. <laughs> yeah, is how much, how much are you willing to accept – uh, in in the manner of cognitive dissonance between what you want the the choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton to be to what you actually got, and how does that margin look for you in terms of how you vote? Okay, so like I'm interested in this because like don't get me started on Socrates, right? Right, big fan, right? Uh, big fan of the Socrates. Getting the telephone, booth, um, but this functionality issue separated from ideology. Can we have that separation anymore? Because like when you're talking like. Vaccines are bad for my kids. No, you, you know what? No, the Dems is measles. Yep. You can't argue them spots away. Yep. The vaccines are good for your kids. Yep. Like, at what point can we separate ideology from functionality at this uh, point? Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. And I can say it's mixed, and I could say it's inconsistent. Right. But I can't say there there's a gap. So I think that I think that in some ways you're conflating the notion of ontology and epistemology. So epistemologically. I can understand the fact that vaccines work. I mean, the the science, you know, it's functionally global warming at this point, right? Yeah. Like, if you don't think global warming's the thing, like, Google it, okay? Yeah. The other half of that, though, it's is, approaching flat Earth. It is. It's approaching. Yeah. It, you know what? It, you know what's approaching? It's approaching Superman Returns was bad. Okay, <laughs> that's that's where we are. That wait, and is Brian, that the Brandon Ruth one? Yeah, that's the Brandon Ruth one. Uh, okay, I'll let that. <laughs> Whoa, wait, are you about <laughs> Producer to Producer Ross is an anti-vaxxer, you heard it here first. Are you about to defend Superman Returns? No, 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 I thought you said you were, you were. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, I misunderstood. No, Superman Returns was great for, for 45 minutes. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, so, epistemologically, I can recognize that there are discerning categories of fact in which I understand and agree to uh, epistemological positions. Uh, you might want to define epistemology for some of our yeah. Listeners. The way we learn, the way we understand yeah, the world, yeah. right? So, 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 all of the data, which is all of the science that we use to understand a thing, says X. But I've decided on Y. I, I, I fundamentally think that that the distinction there is an ontological distinction, which is a way of being that mm-hmm. I've decided as a as a person. I don't think that facts or science is a way that I should understand the world. Rather, I think that personal anecdote and or uh, science fiction and or roll of the dice is a way that I should learn to understand the world. And I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to be glib. I'm trying to be A, drunk, and B, uh, respective of the, the large swath of society which says, yeah, I understand science says this as a category, but, but that's not the category I choose to adhere to. I choose to adhere to this category, which is the insert category. And so from a, a, a perspective of cognitive dissonance, yeah, I very much understand the dynamism of choosing paradigms through which one would see the world. I don't agree with them, 
But I understand that they exist, and I'm totally cool with that. Okay, so speaking of ontology, coming from a place of being, right. as an educator, right. I just find that entire being, like that entire mindset, antithetical. Because education, for all of its you know, worthy philosophical clinics is primarily utilitarian. Like, read some John Taylor Gatto. Sure. You you do it for the, like, rational existence of your society. Yeah. Like, you don't do it because, like, it's nice if the kids can spell. You do it because, like, you don't want to fucking collapse into anarchy after a generation. Right. How does that, like, I recognize your right to do that yeah. vibe with the sheer, like, fact of... You need some aspect of shared culture or culture collapses. It doesn't have to be to the degree that a lot of people are arguing about. Sure, sure. But like, you've got to have sky is up, ground is down, blue is blue, black is black, like that kind of that kind of stuff. You got to agree on that much before you can have these differentiating opinions. Totally with you. So let let me say that all of this emanates from a position of having had a number of beers. <laughs> and read, reading uh, yeah. any beer six segment is going to that's right that. and reading a number of what i think are probably the greatest works of the 20th century which is anything written by kurt vonnegut that i do think there is a fine but significant line between accepting the value of ideology and accepting the value of positional ideology and so for vonnegut Things either made sense or didn't make sense because, as a protagonist, you had chosen a hard line between what was right and what was wrong, or you had accepted that what you deemed as what was right and what was wrong was what was right and what was wrong. And so I think that the distinction that we have living in America today is not so much a black and white between yes and no, as much as it is a as, as a line, this is what happens when you drink beer, between it's okay to say what I say is yes and what I say is no is what I what I believe is yes and what I believe is no. And so I think it's the dynamism of position that you're looking for as a more ideological or categorical position. So I'm looking for a breakdown of performance. That's right. And a, and a seeking of truth. That's right. And I, that's impossible. I'm looking <laughs> – uh, yeah. I, I am looking for Galaga, the ability to turn on all angles and shoot on all things mm-hmm. – and you are looking for Donkey Kong. On this platform, you can go left or right. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that in 2016 America that exists anymore. All right. Okay. But at least we're drunk. That's right. That's <laughs> fine for that. And that's a podcast. That's a podcast. We'll see you next time, folks. See ya. Ryan Little. <laughs>